okay, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. Jeremy. Shimmy, shimmy, Cocoa Puff. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, <laughs> Brother podcast. And uh, we are, it's a sad, sad day because we are saying goodbye to uh, three dearly departed um, icons. Um, Jim Steinman has died, Shock G of uh, Digital Underground has died, and uh, Les McKeon of the Bay City Rollers has died. So uh, it's, it's kind of weird. I was thinking about this recently. We're going to be in like, you know, like... Death zone? Rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. land for, for the next, you know, 15, 20 years. It's going to be kind of weird and wild. How old was um, what the age of, of all three? I know Shock G was 57. Yeah, um, and Jim Steinman was 73. And, uh, okay, so he was at least a little older. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless McKeon was was really young too, uh, in I think early seventies. But um, it's let's start with Jim Steinman, just because uh, what a weird, weird career. And one of the one of the, my favorite uh, trivia questions always used to be, and I've been saying this for thirty years, but uh, Jim Steinman wrote two number one hits. That were meant to be on Meatloaf's follow-up record to Bad Out of Hell. Meatloaf had a nervous breakdown, so they were recorded by other artists, but they were both number one hits. Do you know what they are? I know one. Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yep. Bonnie Tyler. And the second one, is it a male or female? Who, who uh, group male. Group male. Um, shit. I don't as soon know. as I tell you, you're going to be like, of course. Uh, it was uh, yeah. Air Supplies making love out of nothing at all. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no, I would not have guessed that um, or known. I mean, I know who Air Supply is, yeah. obviously, but I... But any... I, uh, it's the epicness of those songs that totally makes sense, though. Yeah, it's the wordiness, it's the, it's the histrionics, the theatricality. I mean, the guy was a musical theater writer. He was a Broadway musical writer. I mean, he was a guy who obviously had huge talent for composing and writing songs, could not sing, was not a front man. Um, and I think he had no intention really to do a rock and roll album initially, right? Correct. It was a stage play called The Dream Engine that he had written while he was at Amherst <laughs> College. It's basically like a really talented guy who was playing Dungeons and Dragons and wrote hundred percent. Um a rock opera. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he winds up and he winds up uh, you know, serendipitously, actually, you know, oddly enough, was to, you know, this will tell you everything. This guy was, you know, there's always these discovery stories. This guy was discovered by Joseph Papp, you know, one of the biggest musical producers in history. And, um, and uh, you, know, ser- you know, serendipitously uh, meets uh, Melvin Ade, a.k.a. Meatloaf. Um, the Loaf. Yeah, when he was auditioning. Meatloaf had been in, I believe, in a... Um, production of Hair, and was also in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, when he, you know, I didn't realize that Rocky Horror predated Bad Out of Hell for some reason. I don't know why. They're 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 not far off in terms of release times, uh, but yeah, uh, Rocky Horror was a London-based uh, stage production before it was a movie. Yeah, and uh, gotcha. So he had been in that. Yeah, movie. which was written actually by the the guy who plays Riff Raff. In the you know the tall yeah. bald guy that that plays Riff Raff in the in the movie, um, but yeah, it was uh, it predated that. The the, the one thing I uh, when I was doing my research and not just relying on my memory, the one thing that did strike me as really interesting about 
Bad Out of Hell, which was one of the best-selling albums of all time, um, was, you know, you, you, the comparison always gets made, you know, between Meatloaf and, and Bruce Springsteen. Like, you know, Meatloaf is often accused of being a Bruce Springsteen ripoff. The fact of the matter is, half of the E Street band plays on Bad Out of Hell, and, uh, and the other half of the band is Todd Rundgren's uh, band Utopia. So you've got Roy Bitten and Max Weinberg. Um, you've got Edgar Winter playing saxophone on Bad Out of Hell. It's a weird. It's a weird band they put together. It's a pretty yeah. It's a pretty badass group of musicians actually. Um, and yeah, I didn't realize that until I did a little research too. That uh, Weinberg and Max had played drums on that album. It, it makes sense, you know. I think there's like a, a sound and a fullness, and I, and I know too with Rungren. Always oh, talking about just they both kind of had that that obsession. It was the Born to Run sort of era Springsteen obsession with like Phil Spector wall of sound, where yeah. every inch of your speaker and Sonics are being filled by something in, in that album. Bad out of hell. Yeah, it's and they. You know, I mean, even down to the the Shangri La's kick drum. You know, from uh, yeah, be my baby. I mean, it's it and it's funny because you know Jimmy Iovine, who uh, masterfully takes credit for everything um, that he touched. So. Notoriously, uh, Jimmy Iovine, you know, who was uh, on Born to Run and the drum tracks got all sorts of, of everyone's attention. Um, he then replicated them on Bad Out of Hell and uh, Damn the Torpedoes for Tom Petty. And if you listen closely, it, it really, the production is very similar. Yeah, no, it is. And I think what was also interesting to me is, you know, I guess let's just go back. So you were sort of a kid when this album came out. I was, um, I was. I think you were a, a baby, <laughs> yeah, like a, a seed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a baby, and um, and so I, my experience with it was always as a classic rock album. It was funny because we had a text chain going when uh, news of the death occurred, and you know Christian kind of I think looks at this album being a, a generation past behind me, millennial as as kind of a joke, and you know sort of just like musical really, which it is <laughs> to some degree. I group it in with like the Eagles' greatest hits and, you know, sort of like yeah. just basically 70s classic rock. You know, it was it was actually on classic rock radio quite a bit. It was, you know, in heavy rotation in middle school from, you know, school dances to sort of just, yeah, we would pop it on like you would pop on Led Zeppelin, to be honest. It wasn't a joke necessarily. It was kind of like a fun record, you know, and... uh yeah, it's a lark. It, and it, he, they get the joke. I yeah, mean, yeah, no, know, there's humor. I don't not, mean joke as in, in as in actual humor. I mean more like yeah, it's it's taking like a, it's like, like a, an, yeah. um, like looking at his musical theater versus an but, actual great rock album. You know. Yeah, I don't think he gets put on the same. You know, I don't think they get put in the same footing as as Bruce Springsteen. No, not at all. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen obviously is is you know sort of the you know the most has the most gravitas of almost anybody in rock and roll. But to be honest, they share a lot of similarities. I mean, it's that tri-state area. Let's get out of here. Yeah, the suburban sort of uh, and, you know almost. And I you know I don't know. I'm not a Bruce. Springsteen historian, but I've always felt like there's a little bit, there's a big part, a part of his act is a put on, right? Um, you know, this sort of like working class hero thing. And I think, yeah, like just, you know, it's that nostalgia for the early sixties, um, you know, kind of muscle cars and greasers and, and, you know, that type of, 
of uh, environment. And I think too, like, you know, the, the, um, boardwalks and the, you know, sort of carnivals, things like that. And yeah. I think the meatloaf version of that or in diamond version of that is, is almost that with a little bit of a, a wink and a, a joke too. Like he had some humor involved as well, which I think was, was great, yeah. you know? Yeah. You, I mean, but, and also in meatloaf, you found the perfect vehicle for, for somebody to sing this, you know, ridi- ridiculous, uh, kind of histrionic, I will say it again, and theatrical um, music. He found a guy who sings it completely straight and earnestly, and, and it's kind of, you know, yeah. It, the funny thing is, like, I, I remember hearing in an interview one time, I think it was with Patrick Stewart, the actor, that you know Shakespearean actors are often cast in science fiction movies because they're so used to doing Shakespeare and really delivering lines that they don't you know, that aren't said in everyday language, you know, it's almost in a different language, um, that they get cast in science fiction movies because they sound completely normal saying ridiculous <laughs> things about yeah. outer space. You know, it's like, set your face on torpedo <laughs> for, you know, whatever. And it's kind of like what Meatloaf does with Jim Steinman's lyrics. I mean, they're so ludicrous and out there, but he sings them so earnestly and that it's, you know, it becomes... Like great, and the other thing that's really interesting about this, and I was just kind of this is just a observation I made this morning because I always think of, you know, the Meatloaf album as kind of a duets album with Ellen yeah. Foley and later, you know, uh, Carla DeVito, um, uh, who was the touring um, vocalist who sang with them. But it really is—it's a choral thing. It's like Meatloaf, Rory Dodd, Steinman. Ellen Foley, like they're all singing together almost the entire time. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, it truly is, you know. And I think that's where there's a little bit of separation from Springsteen too, who never really had. He had that sort of epic kind of you know large sound that that you really can. I think I've always thought of his music as somewhat transferable to Broadway, or at least the the biggest kind of songs mm-hmm. that he's done, um, especially in that era. But with the loaf one, it, it is in that same kind of rocky horror picture, you know, kind of vein where you have that. Yeah, I mean, it's a chorus, right? It's, it's a great point. And I, I do, I never think of that album as one voice by any means. And uh, I think when you do go back, the duet piece is, is certainly what stands out first. But then there is just kind of a, a, a choral aspect that, that is a, a Broadway show, really. Yeah. I think, too, like one thing, you know, from my early mean, experience with it was the the video right for dashboard by the video or but <laughs> paradise by the dashboard light um and you know just this sweaty beast of a dude you know me named meatloaf <laughs> which i love one of my favorite things and i watched you know like when and i are both big classic album fans when we were, we're up late at night you know sipping bourbon or something but um and i watched one, this one recently obviously because of because of the passing and i just loved how Simon was talking about like you know, producing a play and, and or writing a play and, and musical in, in New York, and you know, um, one of the cast members being Meatloaf, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it didn't even really dawn on me that that was weird that his name was Meat and Loaf, and like kind of went by it, like you know, it's like hey, Meat, you know, um, and no, and, and so I was just gonna say that like, I just as a kid, it was this kind of bigger than life, just the drama of it all, you know, the sort of making out and the live you know, performance and the, you know, kind of, of that song in particular, which is, is a, you know, a movie in itself. And, um, and the sweatiness of, of the loaf and, you know, just, it was, 
interesting to hear yeah. like Untucked. how much that guy kind of put out on stage. I mean, he was somebody who like basically ripped his vocal cords and, and body out every night to, to kind of just bring this thing to life, which I thought was really cool. He is a great vocalist, and, and that is true, actually. The, you know, I mean, it famously, um, you know, Meatloaf had a nervous breakdown uh, or was committed after the, you know, multi-year tour supporting um, That Out of Hell. I mean, it just took everything. Well, Todd Rummer was saying that they really and, uh, went out. I mean, they were doing, you know, six nights a week just to get this thing, because nobody wanted this album. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, no, thanks. Nobody, it, it was passed around a bunch, and, uh, you know, some enterprising human being finally uh, signed them. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's one of the best-selling albums. Originally in huge in Australia it's, in England, and then made its way back to the States and became, yeah, massive. Like yeah. all things. Yeah. And, and then found its way to my third-grade bus driver who played it every day. <laughs> um, as inappropriate as yeah. that is, um, yeah, having, you know, eight-year-olds listening to, to Paradise by the Dashboard <laughs> Lights. Yeah. And all singing along, like, going to go all the way That's better than my third grade bus driver who played, you know, We Are the World nonstop, so, yeah. Oh, oh, that's rough. Yeah, actually, I mean, going back to his name, I mean, uh, he did legally change his name to Meatloaf, and my friend Charlie uh, and I, at one point, um, he lived in Connecticut, we found out that Meatloaf lived in Westport, and we called uh, information, um, I, I won't explain what that was <laughs> to younger listeners, but um, dialed 411 and asked for last name Loaf, first name Meat, and got his phone number. I called him up one day and when I was in high school and asked him out to lunch, and uh, he ex- was extraordinarily, uh, you know, genuine and kind and said, hey, I would love to, guys, but... Um, I have to, I'm taking care of my daughters today, but I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's so great. Was, I mean, uh, what a great story. <laughs> and the fact that the loaf is just, you really, in any interview you've seen post, and I don't know if it's, you know, because he did have a mental breakdown, and just, and he also, like, mind you, they did come back, and they did have a, a pretty big hit in the yeah, 90s, you huge. know, and it was not much different. And yeah. Those songs are good, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they're not as good, but they're good. They're like... No, and, and I mean they're they're. I think what Jim Steinman did was come up with insane titles and then you know sort of challenge himself to write yeah. the song. Um, he also had a massive hit with Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that song. Yeah, I do. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, they did have the big comeback in the '90s. In the interim, by the way, like uh, I think it was 1990, probably. Um, I saw Meatloaf at Katina's in Hadley, which is like a split-level ranch. Uh, house that was, you know, that had a, I think I've mentioned before, had a, a snake in the, in a lucite cube in the middle of the dance floor. Um, and I saw Meatloaf for $8 when he was, uh, when he was at his absolute career nadir and was driving himself around in a U-Haul touring, um, you know, really bottom of the barrel stuff. So uh, he worked his way back and had this, and then had the huge second, you know, bad out of hell. Was he in financial straits? Did he go through some financial issues? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was touring with his wife and kids and, and uh, sort of, you know, resurrected his career. It was, it's, it's a nice story. Yeah, you get the sense um, that he's a genuinely just good, talented guy, too. And if, if you've ever seen him interviewed or, or kind of talk about things, he's, he's pretty funny and, and, you know, does not take himself too seriously, but is, a, is a ser- as serious about what he does, you know? 
Which yeah, is, well, he's got a beautiful voice, and he's a massive. Like you said, he's you know they did play on this Beauty and the Beast kind of oh, stage yeah. thing because you know he's walking around with you know an unbuttoned, untucked tuxedo shirt with no tie, and a and a handkerchief. You know, I mean, it's very you know silly, but but great. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, in the early '80s when MTV first started and there wasn't a whole lot of content. Um, I would love to go back and, and watch like a full day of M- of early MTV because you wouldn't believe who was on there at the time. Um, anybody who had a video. Could well, that's like how songs yeah. like that came back into some of my rotation, you know, because it was these were not current videos, you know, <laughs> these were these were mm-hmm. you know this wasn't 1978 or whatever. It was like it was literally you know they were kind of just putting shit on, you know, and so yeah, you did catch like weird because- stuff. Yeah, because the tour had been so theatrical and because the visual was such a big part of it, they had made videos for every song. And it even came with their own title cards. I mean, you know, the MTV always had the, you know, information in the lower left-hand corner, but, but the Meatloaf songs came on and they actually had title cards. It was like, bat out of hell, Meatloaf, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And the other thing was that, uh, you know, I think uh, Jim Steinman, um, and this is a good segue to, to Shock G, but... You know, Jim Steinman and Shock G both are going to have their obituaries written so tightly tied to another person yeah. that it's almost uh, an obituary for that person. It's, uh, you know, in Jim Steinman's case, it's Meatloaf, and in Shock G's case, it's uh, Tupac. Yeah. Uh, who he first introduced on. I, I think get around. Do what you like. No, not, not do what song. you like. No, it's not. It's, he was on. He was a backup dancer. Sorry, I just same song. This. Yeah, same song. Yeah. And that was a solo kind of like introduction to Tupac. And then I think Shock G actually uh, produced and, and was on I Get Around. He produced I Get Around and he also produced songs on um, some of Tupac's biggest albums. Like So he, he constantly kind of didn't produce the whole album, but he produced tracks for him. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, talk about Humpty Dance because, you know, that was uh, that came out when I was in college. Yeah. And, so I think the cool and, thing about Shock G in general and Digital Underground and, and you know, so the group, if for those of you who don't know, was late 80s, kind of, uh, as many say, the golden era of hip-hop, sort of, I would say, like, 88 to 92, maybe, you know, a lot of people kind of claim mm-hmm. is this kind of just really creative, fertile period where it was a new music source, it was still not necessarily accepted by mainstream, and um, and Digital Underground was a group out of Oakland that just had, in Chuck G in particular, had an obsession with Funkadelic and Parliament, and... I think what you find in that, why that, that period is kind of so eclectic and, and interesting is there just was a lot of different sounds. We were talking earlier just um, off of a playlist you made about, you know, the single by a Tribe Called Quest, I Left My Wallet in El Segundo, and what a weird track that is, uh, again, around circa the, the same period. But the Hunky Dance... Especially for a first single. Yeah, know. I mean, and um, Do What You Like was the first... Uh, single from Digital Underground was not a hit, but it was a huge underground hit with, with uh, you know, kind of I think black radio and just sort of hip hop underground. And the it, box, the box, yeah, in Jersey, and, and then Yo MTV Raps, which was still kind of like an, an off, you know, showed a lot of deep cuts on on Yo MTV Raps. I mean, they they really actually that's another thing to go back and kind of YouTube is some of the early episodes of that because. It was very uh, universal. It wasn't just playing, you know, sort of um, Wild Wild West by Cool Modi and stuff. I mean, they were really, really kind of branching out quite a bit. And Humpty, his alter ego was Humpty Hump, which was just basically, you know, uh, a large nose and glasses. Yeah, he was wearing like a Groucho Marx. Yeah, Groucho Marx. And and just, you know, kind of 
flowed into this like really silly um but fun danceable kind of hit and it was the Humpty Dance and, and the Humpty Dance for me was like you know it was huge I mean we, that was played at every you know like I was saying middle school dance and, and you know we were definitely doing the running man to the Humpty Head dance um in Jersey middle school but like also, just kind of if you think back, like the bass lines, like a lot of G funk and stuff that Dre did later. Mm. And, and I mean, it's Nate it's Dog. almost a, a straight up, you know, uh, you know, it's almost like they're singing a different song over that track. What is that? In my is it in my house? Yeah, is that the name of that song. Yeah, is? Wow, yeah. Wow. yeah, that kind of and um, yeah. and I think too, like you know, never really kind of did much post digital <laughs> or uh, Sex Packets, which is the name of the first album, right? And um, yeah, well, the, there was there was um, uh, no the second the, the the second album actually had pretty big hits on it. That's true. I mean, kiss the you, same song. Kiss it's you on back. The second album. Say, yeah, kiss yeah. you, girl. Kiss you back. Um, so yeah, there was. So they basically had two albums that were popular and then kind of tucked away. Yeah, and he I think continued to produce hip hop artists and then always had a connection to Tupac. Tupac originally was a dancer in the digital underground, and and again, you know, their influence from Funkadelic and Parliament was really that cartoonish side, so probably a little more of the Bootsy mm-hmm. Parliament thing. But Parliament, like Meatloaf, when you saw him at Katina's, was really non-existent to, like, people anymore. I mean, people, you know, maybe Flashlight would come I on, saw- things like that, but it was not a not a band that was um, remembered for being so important until this sort of era of hip-hop really came back. Yeah, until they were discovered by these guys, Dr. Dre, and you know, put them back on the map, but they were playing the college circuit, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, I went and saw them. Uh, I think my sophomore year of college at UMass, um, in the student union. You know, it was it was uh, it was winding down for those guys, and and George Clinton was you know it was a, a hired gun kind of thing. It wasn't the it wasn't the, I mean that was around the time Eddie Hazel died, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you had Sex it, Packets they, in '90 and Sons of the P, and you definitely Sons of the P. Yeah, you right. had a lot of, um, you know, there would be like a cartoon. You know, he sort of did the Humpty Dance. He would have like cartoon stuff, a lot like those Parliament Funkadelic albums. And I think with Digital Underground, it was just it brought kind of humor, you know, like like Loaf and and uh, Diamond to hip hop. But it was also just anything goes kind of period. And I mean, if you think just back to have a single like Humpty, that was huge. That is just hilarious, but also has a great groove. I mean, you, you can't help move to the Humpty Dance. I don't know. It's the best. The, the, the funny thing is that, like, basically, you know, around that time, you get the Native Tongues movement out of, you know, New York. Yeah. And you got De La Soul uh, Tribe. Jungle Brothers. And they're kind of like hippie, you know, hippy-dippy, fun, you know, peace and love shit. And at the same time, you've got Public Enemy out of New York and NWA out of Los Angeles. Yep. And Digital Underground was kind of the West Coast. Digital Underground, I'd say, and, and um, later to the far side were kind of the, you know, the hippy-dippy. Yeah, they were the the kind of, yeah, the fun, like a little bit more loose and uh, experimental. I mean, yeah, you would, I think if you look up Digital Underground, it's, it's considered sort of alternative rap or whatever, you know. But I think the yeah. thing that people miss is that was <laughs> that album was big. I mean, it was a huge hit. Um, it took a little yeah. while, you know, yeah. but... Um, and I'd, song, I'd say Sex Packets is a great album, and, and Sons of P has probably my favorite song, Kiss You Girl, Kiss You Back, is, is a great digital underground track. Shimmy, shimmy, Coco Pop. Tickle your feet. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was, Sex Packets itself, the song itself is a really funny song about, you know, it was like sort of, you know, it was the height of AIDS, and, 
and they did a safe sex song. Yeah. I mean, the, the, and, uh, yeah, the whole the, song um, is about you know, taking a, a, it was yeah. about a hallucinogenic <laughs> yeah, drug that exactly. makes you feel like you've had sex. <laughs> it is. It's fucking hilarious. And I think too, it's, um, you know, one thing in hip hop that we talk about a lot is just sort of the single factory that it is. So I think sometimes the albums get missed and that sort yeah. of era is, and maybe why, you know, again, going back to kind of the golden era, there are just a lot of great full albums in that era. And it's, mm-hmm. Digital Underground is, is one that I actually probably went back to post maybe and, you know, mm-hmm. like love Humpty Dance and, and you know, um, do what you like and singles like that. But but I, I think I actually listened to how good that record was probably like four years later. Yeah, you know? I mean, you're talking, you're talking, you know, Three Feet High and Rising, um, the people's the instinctive album. Tra- tra- or paths and travels. Yeah. Yep. Um, sex packets and takes um, a nation. Um, Paul's Fear of a Black Planet. Yep. And they, you know, those are all coming out within like a year of each other. And ones that you it's, don't um, mention, like Gangstar and, and EPMD, and you know, just a mm. lot of groups at that time that were really good, doing a lot of yeah. That was great. Well, we well, want to take a quick break, yeah, and, and listen to a mashup of yeah. Let's do <laughs> Actually, uh, Damien, if you don't mind. Huh. You pick the meatloaf song, and then we'll do. Uh, you want to do Humpty Dance just for the hell of it? Oh hell yeah! All right. Introduce myself, my name is Humpty Pronounced with the umpty Yo ladies, oh how I like to funk thee And all the rappers in the top ten Please allow me to bump thee I'm stepping tall, y'all And just like Humpty Dumpty You're gonna fall when the stereos pump me I like to rhyme, I like my beats funky I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy I'm sick with this Straight gangster Mac But sometimes I get ridiculous I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice Oh yo, fat girl King bathroom, I'm crazy. 
allow me to amaze thee They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me I'm still getting in the girls' pants And I even got my own dance Uh, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod today. Uh, Wayne and I are remembering um, artists that have passed recently, um, Steinman, Shock G, and uh, I'm going to let you take this next one, Win, because it's a, a group that I certainly know the hit single, um, the Bay City Rollers, but I do not know the man who passed and, and not much about them. So, Les McKeon, lead singer of Bay City Rollers at the height of their popularity. The, the thing that is interesting about the Bay City Rollers is that, you know, they were... They were Scottish um, boy band, and uh, they were kind of the original boy band. I mean, I don't think, I can't think of any that predate them. Um, and when I say boy band, I, I don't mean just that they were, you know, all good-looking pinup boys that were appeared in Tiger Beat. It was more that they were, you know, put together to, you know, they're sort of a manufactured product. Um, what about like, and, you know, but that weren't a family like uh, Beach Boys or, or Jackson Five or the Cow Cells or yeah. Exactly, or the Osmonds. Yeah. yeah, they were just, you know, they were sort of auditioned and cast um, in the same way that, you know, later on Spice Girls, NSYNC, um, you know, Backstreet Boys, you know, that same sort of Svengali uh, putting together a band and then writing the songs. And, you know, I think they bristled after a couple years of, of not playing their own instruments, not writing their own songs and, and you know, keep keeping being fed these kinds of um, bubblegum pop songs. But, you know, when... My hot take, um, as I said before, is as uh, Jim DeRogatis constantly uh, his you know hottest take is that "Bad Out of Hell" is better than any Springsteen album ever. Yeah. Um, my hot take has always been that the Bay City Rollers are are really only like two ticks off of being the Sex Pistols if you think about it. I mean, they're both basically doing power pop. One's a sneering and one's more likable, but but really like it's power pop. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I never knew. So when I, my experience with them was was certainly um, not as a boy band, right? I just it was kind of again like a little bit glam, a little bit classic rock, you know. And yeah, I, it's it's kind of fits in with it like a T Rex kind of sound, somewhere between T Rex and the shoes. Yeah, know? and I didn't have that yeah you know, that sort of uh, background. It was something that, and again, another group kind of like Meatloaf that people sort of like to take the piss out of, right? Because it was they weren't taken as serious as uh, as you know no, they, they, other groups of the time. But the songcraft was great. You know, I mean, you made me believe in magic, and and uh, and then they wound up doing a bunch of covers. Um, but yeah, they were you know, I mean, we were a we were a Les McKeon household. Um, Sarah, our older sister, when she was um, getting Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, Sixteen magazine, um, you know, you sort of had to choose your favorite. Uh, Bay City Roller, and she was a she was a less fan. So um, the 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 funny backstory, and and I read an I read an obituary a few years ago. Alan Longmuir, who was one of the brothers in the band, there was uh, two Longmuir brothers, and Alan Longmuir died a few years ago, I think in two thousand fifteen or sixteen, and he quit the band and became a, a plumber. Um, which I just always struck me as one of the funniest rock and roll stories. Yeah, of all that's time. great. It's like he, the, he was a rock star until he was about twenty, and then he's like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to get my plumber's license. <laughs> and uh, I was a very successful plumber in Edinburgh for the next forty years. What a great, yeah, um, what a great conversation with your plumber too. Only in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
Um, but yeah, it, they were, and they, you know, they sort of played up their Scottishness. Each one of them had their own sort of, uh, you know, um, tartan that they would, you know, they would wear. It was It was silly, but it was fun. And, and a song like Saturday Night, um, you know, is ageless and it's a classic. Yeah, Saturday and, Night's and a great, I, great I'm song. At it. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, that's what I mean. It was just sort of like a rotation song. I never knew kind of the backstory and how kind of put together they were and things like that. It doesn't really matter when they're good, you know? I mean, the monkeys have yeah. good songs too, you know? It's just sort of happens. They do. You know? They were mo- mostly written by Neil Diamond. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess the monkeys were predate the Bay City Rollers as a, as a boy band, but that was a TV show. It was a show. TV and show, actually, yeah. Bay City Rollers, Bay City Rollers had a TV show too, what am I saying? Um, when I was a kid uh, in, in the late 70s, they had a Saturday morning uh, TV show that they hosted. It was like a cartoon um, I believe they were they were sort of the show hosts, and they introduced different cartoons and stuff. It was, uh, yeah, it was a weird time. <laughs> well, um, rest in peace, um, and uh, thank you for the music. And um, well, do you want to end this one how we always end it? Yes, I do. All right. So, uh, Wyndham, what have you been listening to? Well, um, I've been reading a lot. I reread Tom Parada's Little Children, which is. One of my favorite books One of ever. One favorite and, writers uh, as well, yep. Maybe, maybe two, uh, maybe one of two books I've ever reread. Um, and it's just as good the second time. Um, I ran into Tom Parada at a Wilco show, if that, um, you know, if, if you were doubting my whiteness. <laughs> um, but uh, I was, um, I read that and I read um, another book that I'll talk about later. Um but basically, I have been on a reading tear and not watching as much television. I've also been listening to um, that band that you turned me on to, um, uh, Sil- Silver Synthetic. Silver Synthetic. Yeah, I like those guys. Some a New Orleans garage uh, rock band and some of the mem- touring members of uh, Jeff the Brotherhood and another band, right? The Bottom Feeders? The Bottom Feeders, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, li- I really like that record. So that's what I've been listening to. How about yourself? What have you been listening to? Yeah, so like you, I've kind of been off of the uh, boob tube, as we used to refer to it as. And uh, I, uh, I've been reading, so I've, I've wrapped up Shiggy Bane, and then I, I have dived into... Um, it's always great when I when I read a great book, and then I'm sort of bracing myself for the letdown, and then you, you, you somehow stumble upon another great book. And I, I didn't stumble upon this. It was recommended by you, actually, but... Came out in 2009, Let the Great World Spin, um, Colm McCann, McCann, is that right? Yeah, Colm McCann. And uh, I just really love it. It's just got like a heart and soul to it that's, that's pretty already um, kind of hits you. And, and I think you mentioned, not that the books are similar necessarily in um, location or story, but another book that may be in my, it might be my favorite, I'm not 100%, but Fortress of Solitude by Jonathan Lethem, mm. and it does kind of just transplant you into a world um, like that book with a little bit of confusion in the beginning. and But for some reason, you kind of trudge through that part, or not trudge through that part, you, you get through that part and, and you're rewarded. And uh, this one, you know, has that had a similar kind of effect so far on me. So I have not finished it, but I'm kind of uh, definitely deep into it and really enjoying it. Um, the other thing... Yeah, it's one, one of my all-time faves. Too, as we talk about Chuck D, one of our, our favorite hip-hop artists ever and um, just personalities ever. I, um, I hate New York sports teams. I grew up around New York, and um, I've sort of had Boston sports teams ingrained into me because of my father being from Boston. 
and um, and then you tended to like like the Red Sox and some of those teams as well, maybe for the same reasons. Um, my dad being your mm-hmm. stepdad, but um, it. Uh, <laughs> I just grew up in kind of the land of the 90s, um, you know, Knicks, Rangers, Giants, um, and I really am enjoying the the Knicks sport. Who's Knicks are probably the team I care least about in New York, um, or I care least about hating, to be honest. I just never even, like, I can understand. They're, they haven't been relevant. Yeah, right? and I can understand them relevant. I can also understand the Yankees and, and the Rangers, but I, you know, I, I just have never really kind of understood the obsession with the Knicks. And I get it more after listening to Chuck D's hosted Shattered, and it's um it's a really fun listen, you know. It's just the owners nuts, and the you know cable visions take over, and the son, um, kind of what's his last name now? I'm totally been like listening to this Dolan. Dolan, yeah, who's you know sort of a angry midget, and um, I'm on the Isaiah Thomas years right now, and you know Chuck D's just masterful. Uh, host and podcast. He started in radio, one of the best MCs I think ever in, in hip hop as well. And it, he has a booming voice, but it's also just a, a fun story. So love the Knicks, hate the Knicks, like the NBA, don't like the NBA. It's just a good, good podcast. I highly recommend it. It's on the athletic um, sort of podcast network. So that's, uh, that's my pick there. And uh, I'll check that out. Let's throw. You want to add a song? Yeah, to I do. Um, mine has a question in it, but I know what I want to add. So if you want to go first, if you have one off the top of your head, go for it. I, have to, I need some help. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna actually gonna do something I've I've debated for a really long time because I wasn't sure what the reception would be, but fuck it. Um, I'm gonna put two out of three ain't bad by Meatloaf on. I'm down. I love that song, and it's uh, I think probably the my we talked about one of my favorite songs. So um, mine is I need. And this is why I need help because the titles are so nuts. I'm going of, of Montreal, um, off of Hissing Fauna, oh, yeah. Are You the Destroyer, blah, 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 blah. And I cannot remember the track that is, um, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's got the great chorus. And is it, is it a past, the past is a grotesque animal? The, no, I believe it is. Uh, or Hemsdale um, Gate, like a, yeah. okay, yes. Promethean curse. Helmsgate. <laughs> you are Promethean curse yeah, yeah. Was, uh, okay it's, I will I will, it's I will come on chemicals one I will yeah yep yeah. I love that track it's a great track I popped into my head today and I will find it post this and pop it on the playlist um, a band too that you know we mentioned her older sister used to crash at uh, her place when they were touring oh yeah that's right but um, of Montreal a great kind of uh, 2000 band that is, is song titles are insanely hard and make no sense whatsoever but um, I remember that being the lead of a, a review I wrote of theirs one time uh, for Blurt magazine. Um, I just said the most difficult thing about uh, writing about a of Montreal concert is remembering the fucking song title. <laughs> totally <laughs> true. Um, cool. Well, it's uh, been been good to chat and uh, catch up soon. Yeah. Rest in peace. Later, boys. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.